Welcome to Psych Talk. I am your host, Jessica Lee, a licensed clinical psychologist. It is my mission to motivate, inspire, and educate you on everything psychology, mental health, and self-growth. Although topics discussed on this podcast are similar to therapy, Psych Talk is not a replacement for therapy and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Whether you are a mental health professional or student in the social science field, are interested in psychology and mindset shifts, or are just interested in gaining skills and knowledge to grow into the best version of yourself, this podcast is for you. My hope is to provide you with knowledge and skills that you can implement in your daily life that add up to make a big impact. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Psych Talk and thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Today I have a very special guest with me, Maria Atkinson, who is a licensed clinical social worker. So Maria, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. It is my pleasure. Anything, anytime. I would love to be a part of these types of conversations. So before we dive into our conversation today, can you introduce yourself a little bit about your background and what you do? Sure. So like Jessica said, my name is Maria. Um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, LCSW for short, and I currently work as a licensed clinical therapist. I primarily work with adolescents, teens, and younger adults. I have been working in this field for about three years consistently. I previously was in inpatient psych for several years and then transitioned to outpatient where I now see patients on a weekly basis. And it's just a lot more my speed, but my road to social work and how I ended up here is quite the story and not exactly conventional. I actually didn't get my undergrad in social work, um, but I do have a master's and now my license. Awesome. I feel like it's so interesting to hear everybody's story about how they got to where they are, um, different settings they worked in and things like that. Cause you know, there is the traditional route, like undergrad, grad school, then you go right into it. But I feel like a lot of people in our field actually like had previous careers or like thought they were going to do one thing and end up in a different area. Absolutely. Yeah. I went to undergrads. I'm originally from Oklahoma and I went to the University of Central Oklahoma for my undergrad. And I actually studied photojournalism. And my plan was that I was going to join the Peace Corps and I was going to be a photojournalist and eventually work for National Geographic. And it somewhat worked because I did end up in Haiti, not with the Peace Corps, but I was working in 2013. I moved to Haiti and worked with some nonprofits down there. And that actually led me to begin my own nonprofit. And in 2015, I started a nonprofit for women in the South of Haiti in a town called Jacmel. And so I started this nonprofit it was called Jasper house. And the purpose was to help women get out of abusive and violent and exploitive situations. And we had a transition home. And then that turned into an additional education center where women from the community could come and go to school and take vocational classes. And so I actually did that for seven years. And then in 2018, I moved back to the States because I really was like, I need to have more education and more Mm -hmm. training in what I'm doing and working with people that have such significant trauma. And that's when I decided to get my master's in a clinical focus in social work. And so I went to Barry University and got my master's there. And then eventually, you know, just, I kind of transitioned out of nonprofit work and into what I do now. Wow. That's awesome. And thank you so much for sharing 
that yeah. story and journey. And it leads me literally to what I was going to ask you next, which is how did you start working with and specializing in trauma? Cause that's what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. For sure. So like I said, uh, when I, you know, Haiti was kind of my introduction to people that had gone through extremely traumatic situations and had it affect them in a very definitive way. And so dealing with severe sexual trauma, particularly domestic violence and sexual trauma was kind of my introduction to trauma. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what started lending me to start studying more and wanting to gain a better understanding of how to actually treat that and, and manage that and help others who are dealing with it. And ironically enough, what actually really got me into it, aside from just working with the women I was working with, was I got a, my certification as a yoga instructor. And the program that I did my yoga, yoga training with had an additional training for trauma-focused yoga, uh, trauma-sensitive yoga. And so I took that class and we read The Body Keeps the Score, which is kind of like the trauma Bible and kind of is the kind of the 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 opening the opening gate for people to get into trauma trauma work. And so we read that book and we really started learning about the psychology of trauma and how trauma is held within the body. And it was like, like all the lights in my brain turned on. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like this is, mm -hmm. I need to know more about that. And that was really what put me on the path to pursue going back to school because I was so passionate. And this was like a nine week course that I did in the trauma sensitive yoga. And so in just oh, wow. these nine weeks, it really transformed my life and really kind of set me on this new path. And I started researching shortly after that, I started researching graduate programs that I could go to because I didn't have an undergrad in psychology or yeah. social or anything like that. So I would try, it was trying to find programs that would accept me with the bachelor's that I had. And I found Barry university, which had a very trauma focused framework for their graduate program in social work. And I applied and I actually got a scholarship. And so I started there in August of 2018 and I did an accelerated program and then graduated in December, 2019 with my master's in social work. Wow. That's awesome. And I love how you know, you were taking this yoga course, you decided, I guess, to do the trauma informed, mm -hmm. you know, for whatever reason, it sounded interesting. And that nine week course really shifted like the trajectory oh, of your life. Yeah. Well, I took the trauma informed because I was like, oh, I can use this with the women that I'm working with in Haiti. Like I can have mm -hmm. these yoga classes with them, which I did do. I did, you know, and they were, they loved it. They, they all responded wonderfully to it. And so that's, that's kind of what made me choose that course. But yes, it absolutely, if I had not done that, I would not be sitting here talking with you today. Like it completely transformed my life. Wow. That's awesome. And so you already, alluded to this, or maybe even explicitly said it, but we often hear, you know, from therapists, especially therapists on social media, that trauma is stored in the body. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what that actually means? Yeah, absolutely. So what that means, trauma being stored in your body <clears throat> is that sometimes, especially when we go through extremely traumatic events. So I'm talking like we witness a death or, you know, some type of se severe sexual assault or physical assault, something that is what we would categorize as complex trauma, right? A lot of the time, your brain to protect you is going to block out the actual memories of what happened, but your body does not forget. <clears throat> so even though 
you may not have a detailed play-by-play memory in your brain, visual memory, right? Your body remembers. And so that's why we will see what's called somatic responses happening to people. And even years after the actual traumatic events happened, people will have stomach issues, or they will have a lot of panic issues, anxiety issues. They will have different types. Sometimes they can even develop certain tics or compulsions like hair pulling or skin picking. And they'll be like, I don't know why I have this issue. And a lot of the time it's because they have suppressed the traumatic memories or their brain purposefully blocked it out to protect them, especially if it was a childhood trauma, but the body, it needs to release that trauma. And so the way that it does it is what we call somatic responses, like I said. And so that can be any variation of what I just described with panic, with anxiety, with compulsions, with stomach issues, with even with, with chronic migraines. There's a whole multitude, which you know, you as a psychologist are well aware of different types of physical symptoms that we can have that are directly that there, there's no med. And the reason it's called somatic is because there's no medical explanation, right? You don't have an ulcer, you don't have a disease, you don't have something that can medically explain why you're having these particular symptoms other than panic and anxiety, which all come back to the trauma. And so when your body stores that, it builds up over time and eventually your body has to release that stress. And so that's the way that it finds a way to to, to release it and to let it go. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that wonderful explanation because mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of, and we'll talk more about this, but you know, we hear all the time people can't remember or only remember details. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know like I, I've shared this a bunch of times. I know for me at like death anniversaries of loved ones or like certain times of years, like my body tenses up or mm-hmm. feels more ill. And I know it's related to mm-hmm. trauma that yes. occurred years ago, even though cognitively, like I'm quote unquote, okay. Right. If that makes sense. Right. Right. You can have environmental triggers that remind body of what happened, right? That it, your body can feel like, let's say, for instance, um, you were unfortunately a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a certain perfume or cologne that your abuser would wear and you smell that fragrance, right? And immediately your body goes into a panic response because even though you know, right? Logically, we know there is no threat, right? Mm-hmm. The person's not there. We're we're an adult now. We're in our own house. But something reminded us of that smell and we're feeling like we're going to throw up or we're feeling like we're going to have a panic attack or we can't breathe. That's exactly what's happening. It's that somatic response to the memory of the traumatic event that happened to you. Mm-hmm. And that you're you're doing beautifully at setting me up for all the things I was going to ask you to <laughs> talk about, which is really the next thing, our big topic I wanted to, uh, you to touch on, and we've kind of already started talking about it, is that mind-body connection as it relates to trauma. Because like you just said, cognitively, you might mm-hmm. know there's no threat, but then your body is mm-hmm. saying there's a trauma response. So can you talk about the mind-body connection? Anything in addition you want to add to mm-hmm. what we've already Absolutely. discussed? Absolutely, right. Sure. Um, I think, you know, especially if you're on TikTok, if you're on social media, you're on Instagram, right? And you follow any type of mental health advocate, mental health influencer type of person, you've probably heard this type of vernacular, but maybe didn't fully understand what exactly they were talking about or what it really means. 
And so mind-body connection is simply connecting your brain with your body because the first thing that happens in response to trauma is that your brain goes what's called offline, right? Because it's that protection, it's that shield. So you don't you don't cognitively remember what is happening to you. So you go into more you go into your fight, flight, or freeze response in order to protect you because your brain is designed to protect you and keep you safe. It's designed for survival, right? So a lot of times when we have experienced, especially chronic trauma, so not complex, but chronic, which means continued over a long so we're not talking about you know once event happened and then never happened again we're talking about something that happened continuously over a period of time repeatedly right and so your body developed this disconnect from your brain to keep you safe <clears throat> and so your nervous system because your nervous is designed to go into that survival mode to have that stress response, it becomes dysregulated. And when your nervous system is dysregulated, very difficult to feel safe inside of your body because your body no longer feels like your home. It feels like your enemy because Mm -hmm. that is where all the trauma is stored. And when we talk about the mind-body connection, we're talking about utilizing mindfulness-based and grounding techniques to help reconnect your brain with your body to regain a sense of safety and control regulation of your nervous system so you can come of that stress response and actually be able to heal and be able to relax and once again know that you are safe and you're no longer physically, mentally, emotionally in that state of danger where that horrible thing perpetually happened to you. Mm -hmm. You give such beautiful explanations. I (laughs) love everything you just said. No, because it is so true. A lot of times, you know, like I hear people either say like, I'm all in my head and like they're disconnected from their body or vice versa. Like I'm all in my body. And like, but I have no idea what is going on, why I'm feeling this way. Exactly like you said, but yeah, connecting those two and integrating is so important to move Mm -hmm. forward. That's a really good point you made. You know, I'm heavily focusing on being disconnected from our brain, but being Mm -hmm. disconnected from our body is also a typical response when we're talking about this type of trauma, right? Like we feel, especially if we experience physical or sexual types of trauma and assault and abuse, right? Like I said, your body, <clears throat> excuse me, your body no longer feels home and no longer mm-hmm. feels safe, right? And so you can be, you can also to not feel, to not have the emotional and visceral response to what happened, you can stay in your head, right? You can just stay in logic, <clears throat> And stay in reason to intellectualize your experience and not have to process the emotions, which can come out in a physical response, right? Mm -hmm. Crying, nausea, panic, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, So kind of moving towards, you know, reconnecting mind and body. There are a lot of evidence-based treatments out there for trauma, but one I know that you integrate into your practice is mindfulness. So can you briefly talk about what mindfulness is? Cause I know that's a loaded question and then how it is beneficial for trauma. 
Absolutely. So the first thing, anytime we bring up mindfulness, the very first thing I always want to do is demystify that word, because I think a lot of people have, it's like you said, it's a loaded question. And a lot of people have different opinions on what mindfulness is. And a lot of times, excuse me, people can come very, become very defensive when you say mindfulness because like, oh, it's not for me. Like, because what is the first thing you think about when you think of mindfulness? Typically, it's meditation. Meditation. And a lot I'm of just people like do it. I, nobody yeah. can see me. I was like doing the. Yeah, exactly. You think about <laughs> like you know holding oh. your to your ring to your pointer finger or your middle finger and sitting cross legged and you yeah. know a good image is like I've ever seen King Rafiki like sitting on mm-hmm. a tree like you know um, and sure that is a type of mindfulness medit that type of you know transcendental and, and deep meditation is a type of mindfulness but if we want to demystify it and we want to break it and make it more digestible and to the average person, right? And simply put, mindfulness is being fully present in the moment with your thoughts and with your emotions and your experiences without judgment. Mm -hmm. So that means if you're feeling anxious, you acknowledge and you recognize I'm feeling anxious right now, but we don't rip ourselves apart and beat ourselves up for feeling anxious. We simply acknowledge it and validate it and allow ourselves to hold that space. Mm-hmm. And in being fully present in that moment, right? We're not focused on what's happening tomorrow. We're not focusing on what happened yesterday. We're right here and right now in this moment. And that helps us start to reconnect with our mind and our body and regulate that nervous system, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. so we don't go into those stress responses and then spiral into depression, anxiety, panic, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I love that. One of the first things you said is you want to demystify it because I do think there's a lot of misconceptions and you said, you know, people always say it's not for me. And I know, and I'm, I did definitely did this too. When I was first learning mindfulness, I was like, oh, it's not for me because it makes me feel more uncomfortable. And it can Mm -hmm. be uncomfortable at first, like exactly what you said, being fully present with your mind and body and all your emotions and not judging yourself for it. And I imagine with people who have experienced trauma, that can be really scary at first, which is why mindfulness is a practice that you have to keep doing. Absolutely. I mean, biggest things, especially for survivors of complex and chronic trauma is letting go of shame, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of shame and guilt that we place on ourselves, a lot of blame that we place ourselves like, oh, if I had just like not trusted that person, or if I had done something differently, or if I had told somebody sooner, or if I had worn something different. And at the end of the day, it is never your fault. So if there's mm-hmm. anything else that you get from this podcast, if there's nothing else you want from today, if something traumatic happened to you against your will, it is never, ever, 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 ever your fault. And mm-hmm. so just let's give ourselves permission to just let go of that guilt and that shame because it's a hundred percent the person who took advantage of you, right? It's a hundred percent their fault. And part of the mindfulness process is allowing you to sit with those uncomfortable emotions, right? To sit yeah. with those painful emotions. But if there's anything I've learned in my own mindfulness practice and my own research and study and in practice as a clinician, it's that the only way to heal and the only way to move forward is to feel through it. And the more we numb ourselves and the more we drown it out, the more we disconnect and dissociate from it, the longer it's going to take us to get to the other side and the longer we're going to carry that weight and that pain with us. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. So what are some mindfulness as well as somatic exercises? Cause you mentioned, you know, how trauma shows up somatically in the body. So some mindfulness and somatic exercises <laughs> you may use with your clients who have experienced sure. trauma that you've felt yeah. have been really helpful. Absolutely. So I, I am a yoga instructor as in addition to being a clinical therapist and I, try to take baby steps when I'm introducing my clients to mindfulness. And I'm, you know, I don't t- put them in a full-blown yoga class <laughs> with full-blown yeah. yoga position. So no downward dog today, guys. Sorry. Sorry to disappoint, but no downward dog, no splits, nothing like that. The first thing, which a lot of people also have issues with is breathing, mm-hmm. right? That is the first step to channel our nervous system it's into our bodies and to get present is to pay attention to your breath. And we're not talking about just short, short little shallow breaths here, which can trigger panic attacks. Cause a lot of times people tell me I can't breathe. It makes me feel anxious. Well, you do breathe. You have to breathe. We wouldn't be here right now talking if you didn't breathe. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's the type of breathing that you do. And it's those deep diaphragmatic breaths. And there's a couple of different breathing exercises that I'll introduce to my clients when I'm working with them. My favorite are either the counted breaths or box breathing. And so all that is the box, the counted breaths is probably the easiest type of breath work that you, you can do. And it's very noticeable. It's draw attention to yourself. So in a public place, you're maybe feeling anxious because there's a large crowd and feeling kind of trapped and you feel like the walls are starting to close in on taking what I call it four by four breaths. So you breathe in for four, you hold it for four and you breathe out. And we keep four because four is just a nice even number. Mm-hmm. And it's a good way to just really start connecting and paying attention to your breath. So I always tell people to take their hands and just put them on their belly. So that way they can feel their diaphragm. They can feel their belly, that lower register filling up with, they know that the deepest breath that they possibly can. And so I tell them to breathe in through their nose and fill up their rib cage all the way up, fill their belly all the way up for four until you can't hold it any, hold it there for four seconds. And then you breathe out until you empty it all the way back out for four seconds. And that's the easiest and quickest breathing exercise that I can introduce. The box breathing is very similar but you just draw a, you can't really see, you can't see because we're not on a video, but tell people to do is that is they put your feet on the floor and take your pointer finger and point forward and draw a box with your finger, right? Mm-hmm. So you breathe in, take a deep breath in and go up. And then as you exhale, draw your finger across, find the first corner of a box. And then as you inhale, bring your finger down. And then as you exhale, bring it across on the bottom. And then you've drawn a box. And that again, you are in the moment, it's helping ground and helping you connect back to your breath, which automatically is going to help regulate your nervous system. Why? Because when you slow your breath down, you slow your heart and it is impossible to go into a panic response if you are at a baseline with your heart rate, because your heart rate is what's going to tell your there's danger. I'm pumping blood really which means I need to send this signal to you really quickly. And I'm going to shorten my breath because I need to run or I need to hide or I need to freeze or fight. Right? Mm-hmm. So if you can keep the breath and the heart rate at a baseline and keep it, you can stay in control of your mind and your body. I love that. I definitely think people underestimate the power of breathing. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But what I always my clients too, is that you have to know the signs because if you wait until you're full ventilating, right, then it's going to these little breathing exercises, right? It's going to be like, what the heck was that lady talking about? This is stupid. I'm like in a full blown. Well, right. Because you're in the stress response. So all your logic and your region reason are offline and you're fully mm-hmm. in emotion and impulse at that point. Right. So you got to know the signs as soon as rate starts to increase, as soon as you feel that shortened, as any, whatever your signs may be, you feel that knot in your stomach, your palms get sweaty. You start to feel lightheaded. That's when you got to take control. You got to re- get yourself back in your body, get yourself back in that driver's seat in your brain. When you wait until you're fully in a panic response, that's 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 typically why people feel like these grounding exercises don't work for them mm-hmm. because they try to do them when they're fully in that stress response. So you got to know the signs so you can get back in the driver's seat and calm yourself back down and prevent a full-blown panic, trauma, stress response. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I know for me, like if I'm starting panicking for whatever reason, breathing is the like one Mm -hmm. sure thing that helps me get re-regulated, at least calm enough to then maybe do some other things that I need to do. Right. Right. Which, yeah, there's, that's the starting point. And then Mm -hmm. from there we can, you know, we can talk about, talk about all the different types of things you can, you can have with you, you, the different types of guided meditation or grounding techniques or grounding symbols. Or sometimes I tell my clients to have, you know, some type of a fidget toy or some type of a stress ball or something that they can carry with them, or even something soft or squishy that they can squeeze and they can hold to, to, to redirect themselves and kind of distract from the stress and the anxiety that's coming up for them. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Are there any more specific mindfulness or somatic exercises you want to go into more detail about? I know you just named a bunch, but I also want to make sure you have the opportunity to talk yeah. about as many of your favorites as possible. Sure. Sure. Uh, one of the ones, it's kind of one of my my keystone ones I use with with my clients, especially that deal with, because I work with a lot of people that would deal with anxiety and depression and, and trauma, especially. Mm-hmm. And a, what I call this is the safe space meditation. And you don't have to have anybody with you to do it, but I always introduce it to my clients. And then I tell them, you know, that they can do this with them. So how it is. So if you're listening and you want to do it with me, I will lead you through a very quick, uh, safe space meditation. And so wherever you are, just put your feet firmly on the floor, sit up nice and straight. If you're in the bed or the chair, wherever it is, and immediately just take a deep breath in and then relax your shoulders away from your ears. In your hands, you can place them on top of your thighs or wherever wherever feels natural and comfortable for you. If you feel safe, you can close your eyes and just slowly start connecting with your breath. Deep inhale through the nose and exhale through the nose. If you want to take a bigger breath and then exhale it through your mouth, you can. And closing your eyes might be very helpful for this activity because we're going to be using visualization. And sometimes if our eyes are open, it's hard to visualize things because we're distracted by what we can see. So I'm going to close my eyes so that way we can symbolically close them together and you know that you're not alone and that you're safe here. And so as you're breathing, I just encourage you to begin to imagine a place where you feel completely safe. Now, this place can be outside, it can be inside, it can be someplace that you know very well, it can be your own home. 
or it can be somewhere you've never been. Maybe it's somewhere you've seen in a book or a movie or a magazine or a video game. Maybe it's a place that doesn't even exist. Maybe it's a fantasy place. Wherever it is, just begin to visualize yourself in that space right now. If you're outside, notice what time of day it is. Is it night? Is it day? Is it sunrise? Is it sunset? Are you at the beach? Are you in the mountains? Are you in the forest? Are you near any type of body of water? Are there any plants or trees or flowers or nature that's around you? Notice how it feels to walk or to sit either on the grass or the sand or wherever you may be. Pay attention to the colors and the sounds that you see and you hear. Are there any animals? Is there anybody with you? Or are you by yourself? And as you're in this space, continue to breathe and notice what words or sensations come up for you as you're in this space. How would you describe this place? And how does your body feel in this space? And just allow yourself to be there fully. Noticing, feeling if there's a, maybe a cool breeze or warm sunshine. In this space, remind yourself that you are completely safe. Nothing can harm you. Nothing can come and attack you or hurt you. You are safe. You're calm. You're surrounded by peace and tranquility. Let yourself be in this space as long as you need, taking in everything that you can. And whenever you're ready, we're going to take a deep breath in and open our mouth inside out. And when you're ready to come back, just open your eyes. And so the thing that I tell my clients is that, you know, we will talk about it afterward and we'll kind of debrief and they'll tell me how they felt in that space and they'll describe their safe space. And the number one thing that I like to share with people is that that space exists within you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have me guide you through it. You picked the pizza space. You imagined it. You saw what was around you. You took yourself there. So that means no matter where you are, it lives within you and you can mm -hmm. close your eyes and you can put yourself back there and remind yourself that you're safe and you're in control and that nothing's going to harm you. And it's okay to be here in this moment. I love what that. was your Thank space? You. Um, it, it was funny because originally when you were like, when you asked me to think of one, my first thought was the beach. But as we were going through, <laughs> I was like, no, my bed. My bed is my <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a great safe space. Yeah, I usually I'm a nature person. So my safe space is usually either the beach or like the mountains or like, I usually will imagine like a forest by like, mm -hmm. a, like a running like a calm like a river or something. And yeah, yeah. No, it, it was funny because I like definitely started at the beach. But then as you were asking more questions, I was like, you know, nope, my bed seems <laughs> a lot more yeah, safe great, and kind of like sacred. So yeah, that um, that's, that's great. Some people I've had people be like, I, my grandma's house or mm -hmm. my childhood home, you know, it, it really doesn't matter. I mean, it could literally Disney world. It could be, it could be yeah. anywhere. Right. But it's where you feel safe and where your body can feel safe. Right. Yeah. So you can come back to that regulated homeostasis baseline again and be in control. So you don't go into that stress response. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, absolutely.
So I know you kind of made a joke earlier about like, oh, we're not going to start with downward dog or no downward (laughs) dog today. But it is so interesting that you are a yoga instructor and like now learning your history and that, you know, trauma-informed yoga kind of leading you to where you are. So I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about it and like talk about how yoga can be helpful for individuals who have experienced trauma. Sure. Well, the reason I made the joke about downward dog is because that actually is a pose that we discourage if we're practicing Mm -hmm. trauma specific yoga, uh, because it can make you feel very exposed and, and it can, it can be triggering for some people. Now, if you go to a normal yoga class and it's, it's not based around trauma, that's a different story. They're definitely going to be doing downward dog. But if you're doing a trauma specific type of yoga, then we're going to avoid poses that are going to leave you feeling exposed like that, right? Like Mm -hmm. downward dog or the splits or or anything like that. It's going to be more like a child's pose, um, more focused on the, the whole key of trauma sensitive yoga is regaining safety within your body. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of focus on the breath work because if we can start controlling our breath, we realize that we can control our body and our subsequent responses. And the deeper you get into trauma focused yoga, the more you can start getting into those spaces. So a lot of trauma, especially for females and female identifying individuals, a lot of trauma is stored in our pelvic region especially Mm -hmm. if you experienced sexual related trauma, you're going to store a lot of trauma there. Right. And so sometimes when we, when we have gotten to a say a place of safety and comfort, um, and there's a connection with either your therapist or your trauma informed yoga instructor, um, we will have you lie on your back and do what's called reclined butterfly, where you bring the soles of your feet together and you let your knees fall out. And so you do feel a little bit exposed, but it's so you can breathe and kind of symbolically and energetically energetically release the tension and the stress that's held within that pelvic region. Right. And so that's typically, typically meditation will be a part of this. And I know we started off saying like meditation is not for everybody, but you'll be like guided through one, right? Like, so people Mm -hmm. will be telling you how to breathe, what to visualize, you know, what to, what to come up, what's they're going to tell you, they're going to help you walk you through it. And they also will let you know, like, it's okay to cry. It's okay to, like, it's, if, if emotion, because it can, it's a very emotional process. So trauma focused yoga is, can be very emotional for people because you're letting go of a lot of times years of that stress and that tension that's been held within your body and within those places, like in your chest or in your pelvis or in your throat. A lot of times you can almost sometimes feel like tightness in your throat mm-hmm. and, your throat is a really big part in in yoga because your throat chakra is what holds your sense of self-empowerment and because it's where your voice comes from, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you feel like you've been silenced or that your voice doesn't matter, you've been told throughout your life, you know, shut up, be quiet, you know, nobody wants to hear what you have to say, you internalize that. And so sometimes, especially when you're doing these types of practices, you can feel like a tightness in your throat or almost like you can't talk. And that's because energetically, right, that emotion that's connected to whatever was told to you is now coming up. And so you feel blocked. And so we'll encourage you to maybe like take a deep breath inside out or even cry it out to release that tension there and re- let go of that belief that your voice doesn't matter because it does matter. And it is important and it does have purpose and it has power and you deserve to take up space. And so that's, you know, trauma sensitive yoga is a lot less about the yoga and a lot more about regaining safety and control in your body. Oh, I love that. And I love that you even started 
with the joke about downward dog and how that's not necessarily a safe pose. Mm-hmm. Um, because I would imagine and I'm making this up here. So you can tell me if somebody has experienced a lot of trauma and then is going to just a regular yoga class and doing downward dog and they feel uncomfortable, they may not know why, Why? but exactly. now they know if they listen to this exactly. podcast. Or if you do something, you know, the deep, like I was talking about the hip openers when, when you're, you know, holding that strength, that tension in your pelvis, you know, I sometimes will do what's called frog pose in my classes mm-hmm. where I have my, my, my students, um, widen their knees and get on their forearms mm-hmm. and their feet are turned out. And it's, it's to release st- like tension, like physical tension in your hips. But I always tell them, I'm like, if you start to feel emotional in this pose, this is why, if you're like, all of a sudden, why do I feel like I'm going to cry? It's mm-hmm. because that emotional tension, and it's not just the physical tension you're releasing, right? It's the emotional tension as well. And that can bring up actual emotions for you where you can feel like all of a sudden you feel like you want to cry. And it's because you've been holding that in for so long. And now you're finally allowing to yourself to let, let it go. Wow. It goes back to that whole mind body connection we were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, at the beginning of our mm-hmm. conversation. So, well, Maria, I have learned so much from you. I've love this conversation. I know there's so many other things we could probably touch on, but before we wrap up, I did want to give you the opportunity. If there's anything I haven't asked you about, we haven't talked about that you really want to touch on or expand on, go ahead. Cause I definitely want to make sure you talk about everything you want to. Yeah. No, I, I just, you know, if, if, if you're listening here and you're like, oh my gosh, I would, I would love to try that. I would love to try trauma sensitive yoga or, you know, maybe try some somatic mindfulness-based practice. Um, the first step I always recommend people is YouTube, believe it or not. YouTube can be an amazing resource. If you Google or not Google, if you YouTube in the search bar, um, trauma focused yoga, yoga poses, trauma focused yoga, you know, 30 minute easy um, mindfulness space, things like that. You're going to find a plethora of people that are come. There's, there's too many to like name right now. And I can't mm-hmm. even like think off the top of my head, but that's a good place to start, right? If you just want to do it in your home, if you're like, I'm not ready to actually go to a class or actually go to a, you know, somebody that's practicing this. I just want to do it. I just want to try it for myself. YouTube is great. YouTube is an excellent place to start. And then if you do try it and you're like, I do, maybe I do want to, you know, actually go to a class that does this, or I want to go to a therapist or, or a specialist in this, you know, you can, wherever you are, you can look in your area, you can look in your region and, and type in Google, you know, trauma focused yoga classes or, you know, therapist, mindfulness-based therapist, see what comes up for you, you know, based on your financial ability and your, you know, your scheduling, et cetera, et cetera, and see, find something that's a good fit for you. But be encouraged because there are people out there like myself that do practice this way and they're all over. You just got to know where to look. Mm -hmm. I love that. So the last question I ask all my guests is where can people connect with you? Sure. So I am active on TikTok and Instagram and my handle is the LCSW for you. So that's the T H E L C S W for F O R U Y O U just all one word. It's the same on both Instagram and TikTok. I post semi semi frequently. I mean, I do have at times when I go on and off, and I'm about to get married, so who knows, you know, how what my 
posting availability is going to look like, but I do try to post, you know, informational, educational, encouraging content as, as much as I, I can and I'm able to. So I would love for you to connect with me on there and feel free to shoot me a message and say, Hey, I heard you on the psych talk podcast with Dr. Jessica and, and let me know that that's how you were able to connect with me. And, and yeah. Awesome. And I will put both of your handles in the show notes so people okay. can have direct links to you. Awesome. But Raria, thank you so much for coming on and talking about all of this, uh, trauma, the mind-body connection, mindfulness, breathing, yoga, all of it, because you know, trauma is something, unfortunately, so many people can Absolutely. relate to. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like it's been talked about more Mm-hmm. And even with that, a lot of, like, there's so much information out there. So I'm sure. so thankful that you took time out of your busy schedule. Cause yes, I know you're doing a bunch of wedding stuff right yes. now. To <laughs> talk with me about this. And I know so many people are going to learn a lot from you. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And anytime I definitely enjoyed it. And thank you the listeners for joining for today's episode of psych talk. And I will catch you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Psych Talk. I hope you found so much value. If you loved what you heard or gained some knowledge, I would love for you to take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jessica Lee PhD. Additionally, I would be honored if you leave a review and five-star rating so I can continue to help this podcast grow. If you are not already, follow me on Instagram and join my Facebook community, Grow Through What You Go Through. Thank you for joining me today, and I cannot wait for you to join me during the next episode. Remember, you are loved, you are worthy, and you are braver than you know.